This month, as we think about Marvel, especially from the standpoint of the marvelous teachings of Scripture. Can you imagine being Abigail Sailors? She was a waitress at a Cracker Barrel in Nebraska. Two individuals came in and they asked to be seated with the rudest waitress that they had. Well, the host decided not to do that. Decided to seat them with one of their sweetest waitresses they had. You see, the particular guest that day wanted to, quote, make someone's day. And so as they were being waited upon, they questioned her, who she was, what she was doing. They found out in visiting with her that that she grew up in foster care and that she was paying her way through college and and that uh, she was working at Cracker Barrel for that very reason. Well, when they left, they paid their bill, but they left a $100 bill. Now, she split that with other waiter staff, but also what they left, each of them left a check made out specifically to her. The total of the two checks was $6,000 to pay for her tuition. I would say that that was a pretty bountiful gift that they gave her that day. You know, also, we hear a little bit later about a waitress named Melissa Maynard. She waited tables at, in Pennsylvania. There was a regular that came in. He was 92 years old. His name was Benjamin Owine. He got to know her well, and he knew that she was working there to pay her way through nursing school. His bill that day was $3.45, but the tip that he left that day was $20,000 with the promise that once you graduate, if you want to go back to graduate school, I'd be honored to pay your way through graduate school as well. So that tip was worth that much more again later on. I want to ask you something this morning. What's the most bountiful gift that's ever been given to you? What's the most generous gift that's ever been given to you? In Psalm 119, it's a very beautiful chapter, but the psalmist brings out what his perception is of the Holy Word of God. And it's already been capably read, but I'd like for you to notice again Psalm 119 in the first two verses, 17 and 18 of what we just read earlier. And notice how he says, deal bountifully. This is, in essence, a prayer. This stanza is a prayer where he is asking God to do something for him. Now, if you're going to ask God to deal bountifully with you, what would be the bountiful gift that you would ask? God, please, please give me thousands of dollars so I can. God, please, please give me the promotion that I've longed for. God, please give me popularity. Give me more likes. Give me more followers. God, please fill in the blank. What, what to you would be a bountiful dealing of God toward you? What, what would you want? Let's learn this morning. Let's focus for a few minutes on what the psalmist that wrote Psalm 119 felt was a bountiful gift from God. Deal bountifully with your servant. 
that I may live and, these go together, and keep your word. Open my eyes. This is still that dealing bountifully. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. What what do you want, psalmist? He says, I just want God to give me a rich blessing. A big, a huge, a bountiful blessing. Well, what do you want that blessing to be? I want to be able to have the word of God and know it so well that I can live. I want God to open my eyes so that I can see these wondrous things that are in the law of God. That in essence, when I have my eyes open and I'm living these, my life is having wondrous things that God is doing in and through me because of his will. That's why this very same author in this very same chapter, flip a page in your Bible and go to Psalm 119 and 162. Notice how he describes the word of God in 162. I rejoice at your word. Why? As one who finds great treasure. This morning, I want to remind you of something that you probably already know. I want to remind you of how valuable the Bible that you're holding right now is really worth. Now, I don't have the words or the capability to remind you of what it is totally worth. It's beyond what words could describe. But I want to remind us at least this morning to be thinking about it. My hope and my prayer is that all of us leave here with a great esteem for the Holy Word of God, but that we leave here this week every day to meditate upon how beautiful, how powerful, how much worth is this Holy Word of God. Notice the psalm that you're reading in. Psalm 119 is a very long psalm. It's the longest chapter of the Bible, and you'll notice it's divided into 22 stanzas. It is the long and a beautiful acrostic in scripture. The Hebrew alphabet is 22 letters long. Each of the stanzas aligns itself with one of the Hebrew letters. And each of the lines of the stanza begin with that particular Hebrew letter. So the first stanza aligns itself with the first Hebrew letter and every line in there also begins with that. And so it's a beautiful piece of poetry. But also notice that every one of the verses in this chapter, except there might be an exception or two like uh, verse 122, and there might be one other, but almost every verse says something about the individual and it says something about the word of God. And it says something about how God's word can transform the life of the individual. Listen, if we're going to spend a month where we talk about the marvelous teachings of God, we must mention Psalm 119. If you'll spend some time this week in Psalm 119 in serious study and meditation, I can almost assure you beyond any shadow of a doubt that your love for the word of God will be increased because you will be reminded of how beautiful and powerful it really is. Now, when you read each verse, the word of God is not always simply called the word of God. Sometimes it's called law, word, judgments, testimonies, commandments, statutes, precepts, the way, and other such words such as that. 
but just notice as you read it. I also would like for you to note that it's not just about the Word of God as if the Word of God is some kind of separate, isolated document. It's very much that the Word of God is just this, the Word of God. It connects us to God. And that is so very important. What are we going to know about God? What God has revealed to us That's what we can know about God. So if you want to know God, you have to learn what God has revealed of himself to us. Now, as we think about this, notice again Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. There are three things in that that I'd like for us to see this morning. Now, really there's two that are very direct and one is indirect. Or implied, but I'd like for us to see these this morning. It's very basic. Number one, I'd like for us to see that there are wonderful things in the law of God. I, I didn't say that. The Word of God says that. There are wondrous things in the Word of God. But then second, what is implied here is that if we will learn it and love it and live it, that God can do wondrous things in our life because we're living the Word of God. And so in that, the third thing that we'll see in this verse is we ought to have the same plea or the same prayer that the psalmist had. Open my eyes, God. I I want to see your wondrous works in your law so that those wondrous works can continue in my life. Because after all, I want to live. I want to be close to you, God. What a beautiful plea that we could make this morning. So number one, let's look at this. Wondrous things from your law. You know, this year we're emphasizing marvel. And we've spent a lot of time talking about how that's in the scriptures over and over. This phrase here, wondrous things, comes from that one Hebrew word that we've mentioned already several times, pala, and it means wonders, It means works that are distinct or separate from common. That's why many times when it's describing the wondrous things of God, it will also include miraculous because it's things so wonderful, so set apart that man can't do them. They're they're miraculous. Now, I'm not saying that every time it's used in connection with God, it always has to be a miracle. I'm just trying to remind us of what this word means. It means something distinguished, something valuable, something great. Now, occasionally, not often in scripture, occasionally it can mean something horrible. And it's so horrible that it's not like the normal horrible. And so it's something distinguished in the way that it is so horrible. And so notice here he's, he's praying and asking God to open his eyes that he can see though, not the horrible, the wonderful things in the law of God. But notice that word law there. Now in its purest sense in the Old Testament, the word law comes from the Hebrew word Torah. And so typically when we're looking Old Testament and we just hear the word Torah, our mind immediately goes back to the first five books of the Old Testament, also sometimes called the Pentateuch. And that was the law that Israel lived by. But I want you to note also that that word, even though that's what it specifically means, carries with it the implication and the application that would be instruction, 
teaching. So think what he's saying here. Open my eyes so I can see the wonders, the wondrous things in your teachings, in your law. You see, the whole idea of the Word of God is that the Word of God is not to simply be viewed as a list. Have you ever thought how short the Bible would be if all it was was a list of things to do and to not do? When you read this week, just think about that as you're reading. What if, what if you took every chapter you read and you just took the direct commands that said, do this or don't do this. Think how short your chapters would be. So then I pause and ask you why. Why does the law of God contain so much more? By that I mean the teachings of God. Why does it contain so much more? Well, let me state the obvious. Because God not only was giving us direct commandments, but God was also teaching us how to live out those direct commandments. It's one thing to have a, an idea or a list of things that's right or wrong. It's another thing to be able to understand them and know how to apply them to life. Let me give you a, a real live Old Testament example. Turn back in your Bible to Exodus, the 20th chapter. In Exodus, the 20th chapter, uh, it, you would either maybe know this off the top of your head or when you get there, if, I would, if we were in a Bible class and I'd say, hey, what, what's this chapter about? Somebody would pretty quickly say, this is where the Ten Commandments were given. Now, I'm not trying to speak for you in the sense that, oh, this is for sure what you're thinking. But I think a lot of us, when we turn to Exodus 20, we start reading the Ten Commandments, and our mind immediately goes back to tablets of stone. Well, you know what? In Exodus 20, it wasn't tablets of stone. In Exodus 20, it was Israel gathered around a mountain... And if you will read on down later into the chapter in verse 18, you will see that there was, there was well, it was a frightening scene to Israel. There was thundering. There was lightning. This mountain was, was smoking. And then out of this thunder and lightning and trumpets came this sound. I don't know exactly what it sounded like. I want to know one day what it sounded like. It was the voice of God. And God said, he spoke the Ten Commandments. Was that it? He said it. That's all you need. That's all you need. It's just a list. Just speak out the Ten Commandments. Well, he gave a lot of other laws. If you flip the pages there for the next few chapters, you see he gave a lot of civil laws. Remember, they were becoming a nation, and so they had to have civil laws as well as religious and spiritual laws. And you come down to chapter 24, and Moses stood up before the people, and he spoke that covenant that God was making with them and sprinkled it with blood, and they had to decide, are we going to keep this covenant or not? And they answered here in 24 that they're going to keep the covenant, but here is why I ask you to turn here. Look over in the 24th chapter and in verse 12. 24th chapter and in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. 
And by the way, he also in the verses right before that, he, he called up like in verse nine, he called up the elders, the 70 elders. He called up his brother Aaron and some other teachers. And notice, come up to me on this mountain and be there and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written. Why? That you may teach them. Why did, he, why did he write that down? He'd already spoken it and all the people had already heard it. And listen, he got their attention because they were so afraid. They told Moses, they said, please don't let him speak to us again. We're afraid. They were implying, we're afraid we won't live through it. God calls him up and says, I'm going to put this in written form and I'm going to deliver it to you leaders. Why God, what do you want us to do? I want you to go back and I want you to, Teach the commandments that I have given. Listen, God's law has always been given to teach, for people to hear and learn and submit to. Is that oversimplified? Why do you study the Bible? Do you study the Bible realizing that God's law has been given in a way that is a teaching form? That's why we read it. The word, the Bible is written in a way to teach us so that we can learn it, so that we can decide if we want to submit to God and live. Psalmist said that. I want him to do bountifully with me. I want to live. All right. And so when we see this, we realize like, for example, uh, and I'll just mention this quickly, like in the New Testament, if you took all the teachings of Jesus and just reduced it down to direct commands, think how short the Gospels would be. Why do the Gospels include so many parables? Why do the Gospels include so many life illustrations of Jesus? Why instead of him just saying, I'm the bread of life, why do we see him feeding 5,000 to sustain them with bread? Why do we see him going through temptation like Matthew the fourth chapter? Why is that story taught to us? All of this is presented in a way to teach. And by God's design, the church was to always have what? Teachers. Elders are to be what? Apt to teach. What are the evangelists or preachers to do? They are to proclaim the word of God in a form that is teaching. The scripture mentions over and over teachers. The scriptures mentions for parents to teach their children the whole idea of God's word is that not only is it given, but it's given in a format that is teachable. Therefore, we should be taught and we should learn. See how this ties into Bible class emphasis day or Bible class emphasis month. The word of God was given to be taught. The word of God was given to be learned. And that's why we place such a high emphasis on that because God does. But, but second, I'd like for you to notice this. Notice the wonderful growth that takes place in us. What if these wonderful things that are given in the word of God are brought into our life? What if we learn them? What if we do carry it out? What difference can it make? It can really do wonderful things in me. You have your Bible still open there to Psalm 119. I want you to scan with me verse 17 through 24. And I want you to notice what he says in each of these verses of things that the word of God was going to do in his life. 
It was going to do in his life if he kept it. For example, in verse 17, he knew that he could live if he kept the word of God. And in 18, he knew that he would be able to see how horrible is it to live blindly. He would be able to see the wondrous things if he looked into the law. In verse 19, he knew that he could be a traveler if he would just search for the commandments of God so that they wouldn't be hid from him. Someone says, what do you mean a traveler? Well, if we don't learn the word of God, we'll start thinking that this earth is our home. If we don't learn the word of God, we will start thinking this world is our home. It is learning the word of God that reminds us of basic spiritual principles. What's the difference in a Christian and someone who's living in the world? Someone who's living in the world has made the world their home. Someone who is a Christian is a pilgrim. They're just traveling through. How do I know the difference? I have to learn the word of God. Verse 20, if we're going to be satisfied, we're going to have to learn the judgments of God. Remember Jesus teaching in Matthew, the fifth chapter, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, verse six, blessed are those that what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Don't you love the rest of that verse? For they shall be what? They shall be filled. How do we satisfy this hole that is in our heart? By learning the word of God. The word of God is what fulfills us, what satisfies us because it brings God's will into our life. Verse 21, we can be corrected. See, that takes a lot of humility that we can learn from the word of God. We can be rebuked. We can be corrected if we don't stray from the commandments. You realize any time we're doing something wrong, it's because we stray from the commandments of God. And then we can practice love. As he says there in 22, if we keep the testimonies instead of contempt, we can have love. And in 23, we don't have to have thin skin. We can have thick skin if, if we follow the statutes. Let that sink in how, how simple and profound that is. See people that they wear their sleeves on their cuff. See, see Christians that are so easily offended. What do you know? Well, for one thing, you know, they're not spending much time in the word of God. Like you know it. Because if we really know the word of God, we are in connection with God and God is the one empowering us and we're not getting our identity from each other. We're not getting our power from each other. We simply enjoy encouragement from each other and some level of strength from each other. But God is the one who empowers us. And so right here, he says, wow, I've got princes against me. I have people of high power speaking evil of me. God, I just need your word. I need your word because then I can get through that. Or look at 24. 24 is that his testimonies can be my counsel. We all need counselors. We need godly people that can help us along the way and give us godly advice. But please, 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 please note this. Nobody should take the place of your first counsel. Your first and highest counsel is to go see what God has said. And anybody else that you seek in counsel ought to be simply helping you see what God has said. And if somebody's giving you counsel that is not driving you back to God, you know that that is not wise and good counsel. 
In 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, when we think about what the word can do in us, you remember this is the passage where he he looks at old covenant and compares new covenant to show how much better the new covenant is and how the old covenant was written on tablets of stone, how the new covenant is written upon our heart. And notice he has two parallel passages. One is in verse four when he says, and we have such trust, we have such trust through Christ Jesus. Look what Christ has done. Look how he's come down to this earth. He's lived a perfect life. He's died on the cross for us. He's resurrected. He's given us a covenant to live by. And so the question is, do you trust him? Now, because we trust him, you can say verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Listen, if you don't trust God, then when he speaks, you don't have any hope in what he says. But if you trust the Lord, you say, you know what? I know he'll keep his promises. And so whatever he says, I place my hope in. Whatever promises, whatever commandments, I really believe they're best. I place my hope. And so what does that look like? That kind of teaching comes down to a summary in the last verse of that chapter. Look at verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So we are looking within the holy word of God and, and, and we're looking at it. And first of all, we see is the glory of the Lord. But he says, wait a minute. I want you to look at the glory of the Lord as if it was a mirror. In other words, when you look in and see the glory of the Lord, does it look back in reflection? And do you look like the glory of the Lord? Now let's, let's read on. Our being, it's continuous tense here are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so we have the Word of God. We're looking into it like a mirror. And when we look, we say, wow, there's some things when I see the glory of the Lord that I don't reflect that. Well, that's where I need to be making changes. And we are not able to do all of that overnight. It's from glory to glory. It is a maturation process. We are not yet today what we will be next year if we live this next year in the holy will and word of God. We will be even more mature. We will have a greater glory of him next year. That if the Lord wills time and you and I live looking constantly into the holy word of God to see whom? to see God because we want God's will to transform us. So we're looking in to see God, to see how God can transform our lives to look more like him. Then we're going to see from glory to glory, a greater and greater. You've heard me use this illustration before. So I'll just make it really quick, but it it is a powerful illustration in just one short verse that he gives there. How many of you would get up on Sunday morning and, and you would get out of bed And you would walk straight to the mirror and you would see things that need to be changed. You say, I'm not going to do anything. And just go straight to worship. You wouldn't think of it. How crazy is it to look in a mirror and say, wow, my hair is really messed up. I'm not going to touch it. My tie is really crooked. I'm, I'm I'm not going to do anything to it. My necklace is, is hanging off my shoulder. I, I'm not, I'm not going to change anything. Do you realize that's what he's talking about in the holy word of God that shows us God's glory to transform us? To read it and not allow God's word to transform us is to stop God from doing wondrous things in our life. You have the power to stop God from doing wondrous things in your life.
You can ignore what he is offering you or you can accept it by humble obedience. And then finally and quickly, notice what he says in the the first part of that verse is our prayer ought to be for God to open my eyes to his will. He's not saying open my eyes to new revelation. It's not what he's saying. God's truth has been given to us. His will is complete. It is recorded in full. And our prayer ought to be, God, I want to study the scriptures today. And I want to see what your will is for my life. Not, I want to study the scripture today and I just want to see if I can memorize the first paragraph. Well, that's great if you're going to memorize the first paragraph so that you can better apply it to your life. But it doesn't do any good to memorize the first paragraph if you have no intention of applying it to your life. When he was praying, open my eyes so I can see, it was so that he could see the wondrous things that God has done so that those wondrous things could come in and have an impact on his life. Do you study the word of God to have an impact on your life? Bible class teachers, do you teach the word of God realizing that it can have powerful impact on the people that you are teaching? Teachers that studying with students, with children, do you realize the powerful investment that you're making whenever you share the word of God in a way that they get excited about living the word of God? You remember in Mark, the fourth chapter, the parable of the souls, there were four types of soul. The only good soul was that fourth one. And it was the one that he said in verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, another gospel would say, understand it, accept it and bear fruit. Now notice this maturation process, some 30 fold, some 60 and some a hundred. What has to be done? It has to be heard. It has to be accepted. Am I going to take this into my life and am I going to allow it to work on me so that tomorrow you see 30 fold? Now I'm just going to memorize and I'm just going to do some word studies and I'm just going to go teach class Sunday, but I'm not really studying this at all to transform my life. Do you realize how many people study the word of God that way? How many people teach the word of God that way? How many preachers preach the word of God that way? Listen, I'm begging you today to realize that if you are not studying the word of God to see God better so that your life can be transformed, you are missing the boat of the power of the wonders of God. Years ago, I heard an example that Francis Chan used that is so simple and, and yet you just can't forget it. He said, what if, what if I said to my daughter, hey, I, I, I want you to go clean your room. And a few hours later, the daughter comes back to him and says, hey, dad, dad, do you know, you know those instructions you gave me for, for a few minutes, a, a few hours ago about cleaning the room? Yeah. Listen, I've written them down and listen to this. I have them all memorized. And he says, but wait a minute, is your room clean? Oh no, dad, I, I hadn't had time to clean my room. I've been memorizing these and it's really neat. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you going to go back and clean your room? Well, Dad, first I've invited some friends over and we're going to have a 45-minute study about what it would be like if we cleaned our rooms. 
And then we're going to have a six-week study where we get together once a week and, and we study about, like, how would it transform our lives if we all went back and we cleaned our rooms? How ridiculous does that sound? Studying the Word of God deeply is needed. Knowing and memorizing the Word of God is rich, and it can be powerful. Coming together in worship and in Bible classes can be a great experience for learning. But this marvelous teaching doesn't do what it was designed to do until you allow it to transform your lives. I don't know what the balance is. I guess if we could ask God one day questions, one question I'd like to know from him is, did we gather too often for Bible classes and devotionals and studies? And I just wonder sometime if God would say, you know that Thursday night you added on and you know that Monday night you added on and you know that, you know, I, I just wish you would have gone out and lived what you gathered to talk about. I'm not telling you it's wrong. I'm not wise enough to know that. I'm telling you that's my struggle. Somewhere, somewhere, this study has to be translated into lives that are living it out. And we can study about evangelism 24-7, but at some time we got to go out and do it. And we can study about how to be godly parents, but at some time we've got to just go out and be godly parents. And we could go on and on and on. I'm not trying to be off balance of how important study is. I'm trying to be on balance of how important it is to study and live out the holy word of God. Psalm 119 and 162, we close with this. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. This morning, have you found the great treasure? Do you pray, Lord, open my eyes because you're not looking for some kind of miraculous intervention. You're looking for a humble approach to the study of the word of God, of God, I want to learn what you want me to learn and I want to apply what you want me to apply to my life. I want to look into the scripture from glory to glory and I want your glory to start looking more like me because of my humble obedience as I learn your holy will of God. Open my eyes so I can see the wondrous things because I want to live. Can we help you in any way this morning? Do you know what the scriptures teach about how to become a Christian? If not, we'd love to sit down and study with you about that. If you do know and you're ready to become a Christian, we'd love to see you immersed into Christ this morning and we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you've begun the journey and along the way you've lost sight of the journey and you're ready to repent of sins, confess sin and pray forgiveness. 
If we can encourage you, if we can help you in any way, let's all leave here realizing the treasure that we have that connects us to the Almighty God because this is His Word. What a treasure. God, please deal bountifully with us. If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.